as the 24-second clock is shut off. Mike D'Antoni won't call timeout and let the Raptors set up their D. The crowd on its feet here at the Air Canada Center. Lynn puts it up. Bang! Jeremy Lynn from downtown! And the Knicks take the lead! Amazing here at the Air Canada Center. of a second remaining. Linsanity continues. And the Raptors can't even leave their luck. They had the Lakers down. Kobe with the dagger. And now Lynn pulverizing them straight on with the hoop. Jeremy Lynn with a clutch three-pointer. He now has 27. And the Knicks have battled back from 12. Now that was a moment that all Knicks fans will remember fondly. As fond memories have been hard to come by for Knicks fans in the last two decades, as our guest today can attest to. Nickish Podcast, Episode 10. The Doctors in the House. everyone to the Nick-ish podcast. My name is Mo. I'm here with Nafi and this is a very special edition of our show. This is episode number 10. What's up, man? Not much. Uh, you're right on that. Special episode, special holiday episode. Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Merry Christmas, all that. Uh, we got a special guest. Um, he's, he's a doctor of sorts, I believe. Uh, not Dr. J, not Dr. Dre, but I'd say his, his impact <laughs> is, as, is as strong and as a uh, as far-reaching as them, so uh, I'll give you the really? honors of uh, doing doing our, our, our special guest uh, uh, proper honors. You know? All right, well, our guest for today was Dr. Ivan Khan, CEO of Constitutorial, uh, where actually a lot of our listeners work at right now. So, you know, we finished the interview. Um, it was great. It was a great uh, experience for both of us as our as our first guest here um, on the Nickish podcast, but... Um, you know, today we want to make sure that most of our episode is, you know, our interview with him. And we're not, we usually dive in on the NBA and the Knicks, but today, you know, we want to make sure that uh, Ivan gets his due. And, Definitely. You know, we want to give uh, Dr. Ivan Khan the platform he deserves. So this episode is going to be all him. And uh, trust me, it's, it's going to be a good listen. And uh, I mean, Mo tells, uh, tells me that uh, a lot of our listeners uh, see him in a different light than uh, what we saw him as from this interview. So you're going to see a different side of uh, Dr. Khan. Yeah, and you know, our listeners might be wondering right now, why is it that you sound so great right now? Um, I mean, I always sound great, so I don't know what, what you're implying. I'm a, a, this sultry, smooth, seductive voice is always on point, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, well, actually, for the first time ever, we, we've been recording for months. Uh, outside mm-hmm. of what we've released, we've been recording for you know almost half a year now. Uh, but for the first time ever, we're recording at the same place at the same time. You know, you you live in Virginia, but you're back home for the holidays. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here you are talking on a mic, and we're this is this is new for both of us. Usually, I'm the one with the mic, and right. you're the one with the uh, the headphones. Yeah, I mean, we in the studio, we in the stew, we got drinks, we got water, Monster, Red Bull, all the essentials. Uh, got some uh, got some food courtesy of uh, your mother, so. Much, much appreciated. Much thanks, thanks to her for uh, keeping us sustained and energized for this recording. But uh, yeah, happy to be here, man. <laughs> uh, well, you know, <laughs> shout out to my mom. <laughs> big uh, shout out, big shout out, the OG of all OGs. 
All right. Well, we you know we want to make sure that for this episode, it's all about our interview with Dr. Khan. So, you know, without further ado, the doctor is in the house. Hey, everyone. This is our tenth episode of the Nickish Podcast. This is Mo and Nafi, and we're here with a very special guest, Dr. Ivan Khan of Consitorial. Ivan, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Absolutely, guys. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks so much. Yeah, we're really uh, looking forward to the conversation. This has been in the works for a little bit, and uh, we know you're a big fan, so that's probably the main reason we brought you on. <laughs> Absolutely. And happy holidays to all the listeners out there. I'm a big fan of the show. Yeah. Uh, a lot of our listeners actually work at Constitorial, um, and they are your employees, but um, and they're all very aware of how much of a big Knicks fan you are. Uh, so, you know, tell us a little bit about Constitorial for the listeners who aren't very familiar with it and what Constitorial is about. Absolutely. Constitorial is a tutoring and mentorship academy, you know, mainly focused around 11 locations around the outer bars in New York City. We cover everything from K through 12, did a lot of work around the specialized high school's entrance pathways. Company's been around for about 25 years now. Um, and personally, it's been my 20th year with the company. Having grown up uh, as a really proud New Yorker, as a Queens kid, um, it's really fulfilling to get to do this work today and get to work with a lot of folks that are, you know, grew up similarly to me. So uh, it's really exciting. And through that, I get to chat a lot about the Knicks at the office, too, which is always fun. Absolutely. Um, well, we're, we're very well aware of the amount of help that Constitutor has done to the New York City community, especially for working class families, um, especially in Queens. Uh, so, you know, Nafi and I definitely want to thank you for all the work that Constitutorial has done for, for everyone in in the community. Thanks so much. And I, and I couldn't do it without the awesome teammates out there. So any of our teammates and, you know, dedicated family members and, you know, parents in the community, uh, it takes, you know, a lot of unity and just uh, cohesion and collaboration. So uh, always appreciate the love back. And, you know, as someone who's familiar with Constitorial, um, I was familiar and I was lucky to have met your father, Dr. Mansur Khan, the founder of Constitorial. Um, you know, we're, we're here to talk about the Knicks and the NBA. Um, did Was Dr. Mansur Khan a fan of the NBA or, or basketball, or did you start your love for basketball a separate way? That's an awesome question. It's actually my dad who got me into the Knicks. Uh, I grew up a big-time WWF fan, Vince McMahon. Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan. I was a big fan of Shawn Michaels, the Heartbreak Kid. And uh, 1993 was my first experience watching the Knicks. And it was the Bulls-Knicks uh, conference finals. So my dad and my uncle were big-time Knicks fans. And I was, uh, by then, I was a established Scottie Pippen fan. So they were taunting me. They're like, hey, it's the Knicks year. It's the next year. Uh, watch out. And lo and behold, Knicks had a 2-0 lead on my Bulls back in the day. And uh, my dad was like, hey, you got to switch over. You got to switch over, you know. And by the end of the series, as we all know, the Bulls took on the final four games. And uh, they went on to beat the Phoenix Suns in the finals. And by then, I had actually converted Dr. Khan, my dad, into uh, more of a Bulls fan than he was. So, you know, he, he always liked the Knicks, actually, before I did. I mean, be like 10 years, 10 years earlier than me. So... Uh, you just reminded me of that, so that's, uh, thanks so much for bringing that up. No problem, but um, it's, it's good to know that uh, bandwagoning was uh, still a big thing back in the 90s. Um, I know just for all those fans out there that think the Warriors are starting that trend, nope, it's uh, Dr. Ivan Khan can attest to the Bulls bandwagon mania. <laughs> oh yeah, it was, it was tough. I mean, if, you're, if you were one of the New York kids growing up like the way I did, there were a lot of arguments in school. Uh, the 94 uh, Knicks beating the Bulls in Game 7, that was a low point for me. All the, all the fans were, all the Knicks fans were like, there goes the four-peat, there goes the four-peat. Uh, as a Bulls fan, it was, um, it was more of a, my love for Scotty and uh, his game, his point uh, forward abilities. And uh, it was really easy to root for Michael Jordan because he was just like the greatest. But uh, just to kind of give it up to the unsung hero, uh, six seven wing, you know. Due to that, I really enjoy watching players like Paul George, Giannis, um, obviously LeBron. So uh, I think I'm a big fan of the wing position, uh, starting from my days as a Scotty fan. Yeah, we touched up on that. Wing position is really big in today's NBA, especially. Uh, but for someone who was 
um, a big Bulls fan back in the day. Uh, can you go a little bit more in depth of what the Knicks were to the high school students or the college students uh, who had a winning team versus what we experienced, right. which was a very you know, oh, losing man. team? I'll tell you something, man. As a Bulls fan, the Knicks were the one team that we feared the most. Uh, I think in 92, the Knicks took the Bulls to seven games. We had to really fight through before the Bulls went on to beat the Blazers. By 93, uh, late 93, Jordan had taken his retirement. So that was really a fantastic opportunity for Patrick Ewing to really take the team to new levels. And then, you know, Reggie Miller comes into town and really put that into question. Um, and it was a really tough fought series. So while Jordan was away, uh, Reggie Miller took the crown of like the biggest uh, Knicks villain. And uh, yeah. that just led to a fantastic 1994 trip to the finals. And um, just to get to beat the Pacers was probably really fulfilling for Knicks fans. And um, by the time we, as a Knicks, uh, you know, as, as Knicks nation, faced the Rockets, that was a crazy time because uh, the OJ, OJ thing just popped off right then. Uh, there was a Game 5 chase when the OJ chase was actually on live TV. And we're like, what the heck is happening? Like, can we watch the game? Um, and then the Rangers had just won after, like, a 54-year drought. They had won the Stanley mm -hmm. Cup. So all this stuff was going down, and Giuliani, good old Mayor Giuliani, was like, uh, go Knicks in the, um, in the Rangers parade. And uh, Game 6 was incredible. We fell just short. And, you know, uh, Game 7 is John Stark's history. So uh, what, what do you guys know about Game 7 and Stark shooting night and uh, Riley's coaching that night? It was classic Knicks. That's it what we know. Classic Knicks. Uh, <laughs> I've got um, similar to your background, I guess. I um, I'm pretty sure I've touched on this in an earlier pod, but I grew up in a house with three other uncles that were Knicks fans and slash WWF fans. So that fanhood kind of got passed on to me. So um, I was a young child in that in that time, but I do remember uh, for the years afterwards there was always a bit of disdain for John Starks in our household, just for uh, the, his shooting numbers and. Um, I see a lot of uh, current-day Knicks fans kind of compare uh, a J.R. Smith's tenure to that. Just so frustrating at moments, but also fun. So as somebody that will, didn't really experience that live, just to hear, the, I guess, that Starks, uh, it, it, just to hear about his infamies uh, kind of rings true to this day just because of the J.R. Smith experience, but I know it's like on a much smaller scale. But uh, you did bring it up. Was, some, oh, sorry, yeah, I yeah. to cut you off. Go ahead. <laughs> Now it was crazy. The one thing I'll say about that Starks game, uh, I was watching it live, and I, was, I kept asking myself, why aren't you putting Hubert Davis? Hubert mm. Davis was off the bench. He was Starks' backup, and he was having a good series as a backup, and Riley just wrote out, you know, he lived and died with Starks, and uh, oftentimes I blame Riley a little bit more than I blame Starks, but uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, Riley didn't want to bench Starks. He just kept him in the game. Um but it's interesting that you mention all these points because to us it's basically kind of like folk stories and we just only see video footage of it and Wikipedia articles on it. But um, but yeah, that, that season, the Rangers won uh, the Stanley Cup. I know Giuliani really wanted to make sure that the, the Knicks brought a title to the Garden too. And I think for the first time ever, there would have been a Stanley Cup and NBA title banner in the same same year. Uh, so that would have been historic, but you know, it was very Knickish time, right. the 90s. Oh, yeah. And I guess uh, a lot of the refrain I hear from a lot of older Knicks fans is just the, the 90s itself. That whole decade is just a testament to the fact that New York City um, is a basketball city, uh, despite all the 15 years of mediocrity and dysfunction we've had so far. Just whenever the Knicks even like least reach that kind of level, it's always uh, the cities. You could feel it in in the city. It's just people are you know suddenly Knicks fans everywhere. You know, so um, I felt like just me and Neloy, uh, we were almost robbed, or me and Mo rather were robbed of that kind of experience. Uh, my co-host over here, Mo slash Neloy, does not like the fact that his name <laughs> is out there. But uh, <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I guess uh, can you? I guess uh, you know touched on it uh, already. But just was it? Would you say that's that's true? Just that New York City really is a basketball city, and the '90s were the perfect en encapsulation of that. Or, or I think that's an un I think that's an understatement. I mean, it was crazy back then, man. I mean, the Knicks were on TV, like like the commercials for like the Wiz was about the Knicks. Like there's a lot of like just conversation around the Knicks and the whole team identity was very different. We had Derek Harper at the one, John Starks, lame-ass Charles Smith, Oakley and <laughs> Ewing, and uh, you know like Ewing really held it down. He was uh, 
Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like. He was similar to Anthony Davis in the way he held it down for his team mm-hmm. without any help, and with that, uh, without 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 enough help, and with that, it was a much tougher team. And the way Riley coached uh, the Knicks, other teams weren't scoring above like 80, 85 points. It was such a tough, grinded out kind of team. It was similar to the 04 Pistons, um, and they really, really took out, you know, took off the that whole bad boys, the Detroit late 80s formula. And later on, by the time 95 happened, after Ewing's finger roll, uh, which I watched live on TV, and it was like, oh, wow, like, you got, exactly, I don't <laughs> want to hurt you guys. I don't want to uh, twist the knife too deep too early, but it's, it, right after that, Austin Riley had enough, and he, he left us. He left us by fax for the, mm. for the presidency down in uh, the Heat. And since then, the, the, the culture of the team really shifted to more athletic, uh, outside, inside game. It's trying to move away from dump it into Ewing it was more of a Allen Houston got you know got signed the, the season after and it started ushering in a new era of more of a shooting and wing basketball by the time you know Spreewell got there too yeah we can only imagine what it was like for the 90s I you know I wonder sometimes is it worth seeing that missed free throw or that missed uh, finger roll by Ewing or that game that John Starks had versus you know seeing them completely miss the playoffs but you know, I'm sure it'd be nice to see them in, in the right. finals once in a while. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd prefer that kind of disappointment at this point, you know? <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. Um, but, so you uh, guys watch games live, or you guys watch the finals at, uh, in your house with your with your uncles and, and your father, and everybody was just rooting for the Knicks, and they all saw that missed layup, huh? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I personally, uh, I'll let Nafi go after me. I mean, I watched it uh, with my dad and my mom in the room, and uh, sorry, fellas. I was actually rooting for the Pacers. Uh, you know, I was, oh, I was a Bulls God. fan, so I was I was trolling. I was like, "Oh man, I hope he misses the shit." And then he actually did, and I'm like, "Oh my!" And then Antonio Davis grabbed that rebound. I was like, "Oh my God!" I, like I still couldn't believe it happened because I, I thought it was again the next year to to advance and then you know get through. And if it came down to the the Magic and the Knicks, I think the Knicks would experience what a really really. Um, beat out the magic so it was a really unfortunate incident you know in, in nick history so uh and and then you know the whole team culture changed ever since that finger roll a lot, a lot of things changed after that playoff series for for the whole organization right and, yeah. um i guess my biggest uh, thing that i wanted to touch on that you brought up was just uh, the pat Riley resignation by facts so i can't even imagine what the modern equivalent would be now maybe just shooting a text message and then heading off to another team and if i if i'm correct uh I don't know if it is for a fact, but if I, I recall that uh, Miami had colluded to get Pat Riley, and they actually lost a draft pick for that, or something, something along those lines, just for a, a nabbing Pat Riley. So, I guess, can you kind of speak to just uh, how the Knicks fans felt in that moment? It's just um, the guy that kind of brought them back to prominence and just left them high and dry. Betrayed um, as hell, man. Betrayed. I mean, mm-hmm. Pat Riley, you know, came from a totally different style of basketball in the Showtime Lakers, and he took the Lakers to four or five championships. And so when he came out of here, he had very different personnel and he helped really solidify the Knicks into the, the biggest, uh, you know, uh, perennial contender outside the bulls. So when he left, uh, it was almost like, Oh, Oh snap, like a father leaving the household and, and, we, and everyone was stuck with this, this unknown Jeff Van Gundy. Mm-hmm. And he ended up taking the team to, he, he still carried on that Riley culture and, uh, I think Knicks fans were really excited to have someone who uh, literally would fight for the team. So it ended up working out. But when it happened in 95, uh, Riley was the most hated man uh, in all of New York. So Right. It was kind of like his dad said he was going to go get a pack of cigarettes and just never <laughs> Sad all Leaps. around. Stepping up for Newports. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ended up taking a flight to Miami. Who knew? Snap. Yeah. But um, I guess... So the thing what you mentioned Van Gundy and uh, if I recall he had left on bad terms as well I recall that as well just um he was on the outs with Dolan and to this day I think Dolan just kind of just recently has been uh, cooling off but he's been having kind of a grudge against Van Gundy just for leaving the Knicks high and dry as well or just resigning so I think the Pat Riley and Van Gundy thing or at least from where I sit just it stood as a um 
an example of the Dolan um, issue. So if I recall, Pat Riley wanted the same kind of power he received in Miami in New York, and when C didn't get it, he did what he had to do to leave. And yeah, it betrayed us, but at the end of the day, he picked up two championships with Miami, right? So I think this, I guess, where I want to pivot to is just James Dolan. I know he took over the team in the 90s, and um, you've obviously got a wealth of uh, basketball knowledge and, and as, fa- as a fan and that kind of experience. So can you speak to your feelings to Dolan? Um, do they match the kind of disdain that me and uh, Mo have over here? Or Fuck is that guy. Kinda... <laughs> I'll tell you, man. I'm telling you, man. I mean, I've hated Dolan for so long because uh, I think it was like a year or two after the team that he uh, – let me. I mean, the Ewing trade happened, I think, right around the time that Dolan was joining the Knicks and it may have happened just before. Yeah. So we had a we had a decent package. We had about Glenn Rice, uh, Shandon Anderson, and a couple of first round picks uh, from a few different teams. And I'm, I've been looking it up. I have no idea where those first round picks went. So they all just freaking disappeared. <laughs> and um, I think our propensity to just you know just trade them away. And I, they weren't as valued back then as they are now. I'll give you that. But um, I think there may have been a Ewing curse because of the trade and it wasn't really the Knicks fault because uh, you know Ewing really wanted to get out of here but to Dolan's one single thing that I'll give him credit for uh, since since Scott Perry came on board and since David Fisdale uh, formulated this you know big three with Steve Mills at the front office Dolan's you know continued to keep you know stay out of the picture more which has been great mm-hmm. he's willing to spend the money which is great he's willing to uh, he was, you know, willing to stay out of Phil Jackson's way, uh, you know, and then he intervened at the right point where the whole KP trade threat came up. So yeah. Dolan has done a few good things, and I'm really shocked I'm saying this. Uh, but overall, hmm. I think uh, he's done far greater damage to okay. the Knicks' reputation, ability to attract free agents. He's a petulant child, so if you're a, if you're a top-name free agent, you got to really watch out, like, what kind of weird stuff Dolan's going to expect of you back. Like the whole Amari Dolan friendship was always like a little off to me, you know? So definitely, I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. He yeah. stopped that Kyle Lowry trade a few years ago. Exactly. I can't even imagine as a big time free agent walking into a meeting, seeing frumpy little Dolan sitting in the corner with a guitar and maybe a harmonica asking if you want to jam out a little bit before they discuss the finer details. But I mean, it's uh, music Isaiah to Thomas our ears. Bringing his, yeah, Isaiah Thomas bringing his coffee, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> music to our ears when he said that he might consider selling the Knicks for the right price, which yeah, I don't think would be a great business decision, but I hey. Mean, one can dream. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, he, like, it, it's like a Jerry Jones thing, right? It's, it's going to take like uh, $100 million or like whatever, like, uh, like $10 billion or whatever that Jerry Jones said to sell the uh, Cowboys. Like, don't even sell that stuff. Right. He 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 lives to torture Nick fans. So, and and banish Charles Oakley. So he's he's gonna ride this thing out. It's the purpose of life. Yep. I mean, yeah. where the Knicks are, I think that they're the most valued NBA franchise in the league, and we've only had probably one solid 1.5 years of success in the last 15 years. So it's I, even that. Yeah. yeah. So Dolan, there's really no pressing need for him to sell. But I mean, hopefully he does. I mean that Chauncey amnesty still haunts me. I mean getting uh, oh, getting rid of Chauncey mm. at the end of uh, at the end of his contract year and using the amnesty on him, where we could have saved it for like Amari later and still paired up Melo with uh, a better fit. Uh, there's a lot of things that we effed up on, but you was know, that a Dolan uh, decision? Which, I thought that was a Donnie Walsh decision. Uh, you know, like Donnie Walsh as much power as he had, it was always Dolan overriding exactly. his overriding his stuff because Dolan is the one who forced the Mellow trade to give up, you know, the whole, you know, the, the kitchen sink or whatever, where Mellow, you know, waited out. Go, go choose Brooklyn over uh, the Knicks. See what happens. Mellow wasn't going to choose Brooklyn over uh, the Knicks. Right. But the thing is, uh, the Nets did come back with the Darren Williams trade the, like the day after. Oh, so yeah. yeah. Who knows if... Um, you know, Carmelo would have stayed back in Brooklyn for money because Melo's always been about the money, right? Yeah. Right. I think the amnesty, um, it, that might have been a Donnie Walsh move, but uh, like you brought up the Amari friendship with Dolan, I think there was no way that amnesty was going to be used on Amari in that situation, so it had to be Chauncey. So there you go. It goes ties back to Dolan, you know. So Amari was the teacher's pet at the time. So Him and his red wine, red wine baths. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure at the other end of that picture, I think, Maybe Dolan was the one that took that picture. Who knows? In the tub, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> he, he probably poured the he probably poured the wine into the bathtub. So right, make sure the temperature was just right yeah, before Amari Just there. right. <laughs> sing him, sing him a tune. Anyway, pause. What else? What else we got? So Ivan, what 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 turned you to a Knicks fan then? 
At what point was it? Misery, I don't know man. if he was brought back. Misery. I think he was just never a Knicks fan. Then okay. he just it was, it suddenly, was, it was I guess the Bulls sucked. And he took a yeah, it, was, yeah. it, was a com- it was a combination of a few things. Uh, in 99, when I started college, my, my roommate, who was later my best man, was a big-time Knicks fan. So we used to always get into it. Uh, we watched like the Knicks-Raptors series in you know, 2000, Knicks-Raptors in 2001. Uh, so he was a big-time Knicks fan, and he was always watching the games in college in our apartment. Uh, we lived in Harlem at the time from 99 to 04. So right around then, we had it, it couldn't get worse. Like I said, we had Doliak, Howard Isley, Shannon Anderson, uh, Travis Knight, all these bums, and um, it just it just they were just so horrible. And the Bulls were no better either. That it, it was fun to still root for a few Bulls players like Jamal Crawford and Eddie Curry because I, I still enjoyed their game. You know when they were on the Bulls. Mm-hmm. And soon enough, they became Knicks. So I was like, all right, if, if most of the Bulls are becoming Knicks anyway, and, you know, in the apartment, <laughs> we're all watching the Knicks, and, the, and we suck so bad. Uh, I just, ever since 02, 03, it just stayed. And uh, I think a little shortly after, Isaiah got signed on as the president. Again, every time we had a new front office, we're like, all right, things are going to change. The new regimes, Nick Saviors. And it, it's happened so many times, even in y'all lives. So you yeah. guys have, have seen it and lived through it through Larry Brown, Donnie Walsh. Phil, now Scott Perry, so we see it. Yeah. So, you know, you've seen those 90s Bulls, the Jordan era. If you had to choose, right? Because since you've seen extensive amount of games for the Bulls, who would win, Bulls or today's Warriors? Uh, great question, man. I mean, I think the whole – if it was the KD Warriors, you may have to give it to the Warriors. Uh, but if it was the KD less Warriors with the 73 and uh, 9 Warriors against the Bulls, I think the Bulls would take it. Uh, I think the defense from Rodman, Rodman would neutralize uh, Draymond Green for sure. Scotty could, you could put him on Steph, you could put him on Clay, it wouldn't matter, and, and Mike would do his damn thing. I think overall the, uh, the defensive intensity would, would, would prevail. I think, I think the Bulls played a little deeper, and they had a, a few more carved out roles for the bench that that allowed their players to really turn it on when they needed to especially in the third quarter full court press michael and scotty it'll, it'll be it'll be a wrap it'll be a six game series bulls you agree with that i have a couple points well first go of for all, it I, I know your uh, uh mo put me onto your twitter name nixbert so i assume <laughs> uh, I, I take and from yeah. just speaking to you you yeah. got a knowledge of the game so <laughs> Uh, do you subscribe to the belief that uh, for that matchup to happen, it would have to happen in two different uh, rule sets just because it was two different areas mm. and the rules are so different now that if, if the Jordan Bulls were to pay, play the Warriors with today's rules, I think Advantage Warriors just given the talent and the, the, the discrepancy in the rules, you know? Great but, point. But if it Great were to point. take I mean, place in the 90s, I mean, uh, six uh, game six, you know, I mean, Bulls and six, you know, but... I think uh, you bring up an excellent point. I mean, the game in the NBA is so different now, and a lot of it started with the Warriors and teams like the Blazers and uh, current Rockets trying to copy the outside-inside game. Mm-hmm. Uh, before, it was a lot more of a half-court half court sets with the whole triangle. And, you know, this, this is when the, when the triangle actually worked, when you had players who could run it. <laughs> right. So uh, it'd be tough. It'd be tough. I, I absolutely give that to you. And um, it'd come down to, you know, you know, Coach Kerr versus uh, seventh man off the bench Kerr, and you know a few little <laughs> intangibles, a few little intangibles, and, and different things could uh, sway the matchup. But uh, you bring up a great point. The outside shooting would uh, the Bulls didn't have the way that the way the Warriors did to do. Right, and just I know the Bulls um, they were obviously running through Jordan and Pippen, and uh, Rodman was doing his thing too in that that second iteration of the Bulls. But uh, I don't think any of those big men could uh, keep up with that death lineup that the Warriors could throw out there. Draymond Green at the five. Um, you know, if you put Pippen on Clay or Scott uh, or Steph, does that mean uh, Jordan has to chase around the other one? You know, kind of wear down his energy. Because uh, Phil would probably put Scotty on on Steph. Mm-hmm. He'd keep Mike on Clay because Clay doesn't run around as much as uh, as, as Steph can. Okay. Uh, and whether your wings like um, Harrison Barnes have you or whoever it is before KD. Uh, you, you, we had a, we had some defense off the bench, but uh, it, it'd be tough. It'd be tough. Uh, I'll tell you, man. I'll tell you that, man. I mean, it, they they match up pretty nicely at that point. I'll tell you that. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you that. Definitely, and I and I'm one that believes that uh, styles uh, make matchups. So I, I don't really, I'm I'm not a big fan of seeing two similar teams playing each other just because they both mm. know what they're running. I just like that kind of contrast. 
So, I mean, mm. right now, you know, you see the game. Everybody's kind of going towards the same thing. I think the only team that's, like, kind of veering in the opposite direction is the Grizzlies. So, I definitely feel like that matchup, 90s Bulls, um, whichever iteration is the best versus uh, today's Warriors would, uh, would be the biggest uh, clash of styles we'd have ever seen in any kind of possible matchup. So. Now, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, would have been fun. Definitely. Because with, with Scottie Pippen, he doesn't have as many historic moments as Michael Jordan. And, you know, growing up as a young man, why would you why would you like Pippen more than Jordan? I'll tell you one thing, man. All of Pippen's moments were infamous, all for the wrong reason. <laughs> I mean, whether it was his migraines against the Pistons, sitting out the last 1.8 seconds of a freaking playoff game against the Knicks uh, to be proven wrong by Phil Jackson because Coach hit that shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pippen was just, you know, he was more complex as a human being. He was, he was more vulnerable. He uh, was the youngest of you know, 12 or 14 kids uh, in Arkansas grew up extremely poor, came out of like junior college, got, you know, so he was like a, like one of those uh, Clarence Gaines type picks. He was like, uh, like out of nowhere, central Arkansas got traded on draft day and only uh, like the Bulls, uh, Jerry Krause, uh, you know, like very few people knew about his game and he ended up becoming the perfect compliment. And until then, it's really tough to find a compliment to the greatest player on earth. So I think I appreciated um, the way he had to evolve his game and shape his game to fit Mike's. And uh, clearly he would never have been as great if he hadn't had those practice sessions with Mike Jordan. But I think those types of things appealed to me. It was, it was too easy to root for Michael Jordan. It was always fun to see who's behind the scenes and, and doing the, the nitty-gritty stuff. Right, and that's a really great point you make. Just you, you see it now, a lot of stars are kind of hesitant to just take that, that secondary role, you know? So to see Pippen uh, embrace that and be the Robin to Batman, you know, I mean, Michael Jordan as Batman was, uh, I'd say that's a big enough reason to kind of become a fan of him, you know, just the way he played and just the fact that he embraced being uh, the co-star as opposed to the headliner. So, you know, you know I, I, you, you, one could call him the Michael Jordan of sidekicks. <laughs> oh, yeah. apt comparison. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, Pippen's your favorite player from of all time. Who's your favorite player today? Uh, I got to give it up for my man KP, man. I mean, you got to start with KP. That injury mm-hmm. uh, was was still one of the more devastating things as a Knicks fan. Um, I got to give it up for Kevin Knox, and I could I could go go through a whole Nick list of, with you know you know ending with our son baby Frank, but um, outside outside the the Knicks, PG? Uh, I got I got to love Paul George. Yeah. I got to love uh, Yanni, um, and LeBron is still. Uh, probably uh, still one of the greatest things I've seen on the court uh, just for his ability to do so many things from so many different parts and his game keeps getting better and evolving but GM LeBron, Coach LeBron, Dad LeBron, whining and dining LeBron, all that AD loving LeBron all that stuff sometimes gets a little much but you know he's got to do what he got to do I see you miss Kawhi Leonard I think he might be our MVP pick this year Right, I was going to bring him up as well. How do you, I mean, I'm of the opinion that Kawhi is uh, the upgraded version of Pippen. Your thoughts? Ooh. Pippen fan? Your thoughts? <laughs> I, was, I was about to do the Kawhi laugh. My wife and I, like, watched it over and over. <laughs> I mean, Kawhi's a fun guy and all. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I see a lot of Kawhi's game in, uh, you know, from my young days and being a huge Pippen fan. And getting to watch Kawhi just slice and dice the heat on that, you know, 2014 championship when the Spurs got their revenge. It was probably one of the most gratifying things I've ever watched as a basketball fan. Uh, I think it was game five when the Spurs just like, just totally dissected the heat. And it was, you know, Kawhi was a huge part of that. So I really hope he's healthy. I hope his quad or whatever his medical stuff is better. I'm pretty sure, I'm, I'm pretty confident he's going to end up in the Clippers. I think the Clippers are going to be the biggest dark horse in 2019. Even if he does win MVP in Toronto and take some, I think uh, he's at a home, man. He's, uh, he's going back to, LA. Yeah, one of my favorite videos ever is LeBron's reaction when Kawhi came off the bench in one of the Miami Heat games. You seen that video? Yeah, he right, saw right, he just right. he's just like no, fuck, <laughs> <Like, laughs> <"Bug." laughs> he's back. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd still stick with the Kawhi being the upgraded version of Pippen. You know, just uh, keep that out there. Oh, he's, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He's definitely got a much more all around. Uh, he's definitely got an all around game. He's right. got a he's got a better offensive half court readiness that Pippen was never able to uh, really put together as far as a mid, mid-range game the way Kawhi has. Mm-hmm. Pippen's moves were a lot more around the basket, 
Um, a little bit like the way we're watching Kevin Knox, you know, a young Kevin Knox, and he, you know, he's, he's great around the basket. He can take the outside, but we're really looking forward to what more Kevin Knox can do around the court, you know, like all over and, and right. steals and blocks, especially. Yeah. He's been, he's been killing it December. He's my pick for rookie of the month for the East. So, you know, hopefully he'll probably get it. I, I'd I mean, say he's Knox been killing it. Up and we have no reason to believe that he doesn't. So that's true. Well, um, yeah, I love, I love, I saw the stat on the, uh, Nickish Instagram, which I'm a big follower of sides. So I, I, I love the Knox love on the, on the Nickish IG, IG post you had there. <laughs> We love the the shout out uh, for the name drop. So uh, for all us listeners out there, for all our listeners out there that aren't following yet, um, that's your endorsement right there. Dr. Ivan Khan says follow us. Just, uh, it's Nick underscore ish. Mm-hmm. If you haven't already. Um, exactly. So so free agency. Um, you know we know we know the you know we know who the big fish are. We know KD's there, Kyrie's there, Kawhi's there, uh, even Kemba's there. Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson. We got the five Ks. Uh, is there anyone else you're interested in for the Knicks? Uh, to pick up if we strike on all of those because Steve Mills said something interesting uh, earlier this week and it's he's not trying to put all his money into the summer's free agency and if we strike out that's okay we'll we'll keep rebuilding the team and then you know keep our patience up and the New York Knicks fan base isn't really a patient fan base um, maybe you are uh, I know Nafi and I both are so you know are there any other players that you know you're watching out for for the Knicks to pick up if we strike out on the 5Ks. I think what? anyone uh, if we start if we start on the 5Ks uh, and I'd, lo- I'd like to start off by saying I think the most likely of the of the of the Ks would be KD, then either Kemba or Kyrie uh, in case things go wrong in Boston, which it looks like it's pretty it's it's getting shaky in Boston and Kyrie's got a lot of love for New York and mm-hmm. Kemba's really putting Charlotte on the map, but I'd love to get uh, any of those three. Right. But uh, you, you know, you know, Kawhi's not coming to New York. He's not even looking our way. You know, Clay's uh, looking maybe towards LA or just resigning in Golden State. So once those guys are off the board, um, I'm I'm thinking about other you know next tier free agents that that support the development timeline that we got going on. Mm-hmm. And next year's gonna be a real test because we got to see how healthy KP is and is KP gonna be uh, our number one option the way Dirk has for 20 years with the Mavs. Or is KP's health going to restrict him to a secondary option? Mm. Uh, similar to maybe not Powell's game with the Lakers, but how Powell had to you know, evolve his game to be a, a, a great second banana to, to Kobe's prime years for those second set of championships. So to answer the question, you know, Milwaukee has to figure out you know, re-signing Bledsoe, Middleton, and they got uh, Malcolm Brogdon and... Um, if, if any of those guys are available uh, and if they fit well with KP's timeline, I think we should be having some conversations there. Um, Terry Rosier, I don't want to overpay for Terry, uh, so I'm really reluctant about what his demands will be. D'Angelo Russell's a, a restrictive free agent, but I don't see the Nets uh, letting him go. Mm-hmm. And uh, if not, let's just go for low-risk deals of younger people. I mean, Alfred Payton, if he can maybe turn it around if, if things don't work out with uh, re-signing Moutier, because if, if, we have our own development to think about from our own Knicks players. So those are just some of the names out there. I'm, I'm really look focused, focused on the guards because it looks like hopefully we'll get a good forward or wing through the draft, hopefully. Is Kemba worth the max contract? You think so? If, you, if we had all that money, 38 mil or whatever number it is, and Kemba is willing to come to the Knicks, but he wants that max contract. You're Scott Perry. Are you gonna sign Kemba to the Knicks? It's tough, man. I mean, I mean, Kemba, Kemba really worked hard and and, and is really playing uh, maybe even above his natural talent level due to how hard he works. However, it it all depends on how well KP plays. If if KP's if if Kemba's a good fit to KP's healthiest years, mm-hmm. he may be worth it. Um, and um, and if and if we pay Kemba all that money and, and KP falls short um, and, and doesn't work out, you know, we'll have a John Wall situation with a 40 million or, or Chris Paul's contract with, you know, 35, 40 mil uh, dedicated to, you know, a, a terrible contract. But I think Kemba's age and his poise in, in, uh, in big moments, I'd, I'd, I'd go for that. Definitely. If, if, you, if you strike out in KD, that is. Right. Of course. And just, you know, there's that homecoming storyline with Kyrie, but, you know, Kemba is obviously born and raised in the Bronx, so it will be homecoming in, in, on that end as well. And I just feel schematically, 
Um, to build off your point, Kemba is, a, I think, as a player, is the perfect kind of point guard for KP. Just to a high usage kind of player that can be the primary playmaker and set uh, KP up. And, you know, he's a threat on the court anytime he steps on the court, especially the way he's playing now. So um, I feel like he's playing like a max player, just, just to answer uh, Mo's question. But uh, you raised some great points as well because it doesn't really make sense to anchor ourselves to a. a a great player but you know if, if we're not at that stage yet where we get a 30 year old point guard on a max contract you know it doesn't really fit our timeline but I guess to pivot um, you mentioned Moutier um, and uh, I, we, we're both personally high on Vonley as well would you say those are the two main cogs we should resign as a you know as a backup plan if, uh, if all you know goes to shit with uh, KD and Kyrie well like you guys said in episode 9 right Nickish podcast episode 9 you definitely got to do Vonley before Moutier because you got – we don't know how healthy KP is going to be. Right. And KP is not the strongest rebounder out there, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So Vonley might be just that, you know, low-cost, not, you know, uh, mid-level kind of 8 to 10 mil per year kind of uh, role player that may help with the development of, K, you know, KP's lack of rebounding until Mitch really finds his own. Mm-hmm. And with Moutier, uh, I know uh, Mo had mentioned the 10, 10 to $12 million per year mark. Uh, if we strike out on the big five and we got to, you know, look look internally, Moutier's played better than uh, the rest by uh, by a lot. So we'd have to see whether those are empty stats mm-hmm. or, you know, worth uh, building upon. I think one person in the office was mentioning, um, Rivu, he was mentioning how um, – in one of the you know, sophomore rookie all-star games, Moutier and KP got together to drop like some great stats together. So um, who knows? That's a very good point. I it never really like clicked in, but we've never seen Moutier and KP play together. Mm-hmm. Or and KP play with Frank for that matter. You know. I mean, yeah, we've seen a little bit of that. That kind of want to throw Frank in yep, the trash yep. already, but you know he was drafted to complement KP. We have seen that, but I definitely feel like Moutier is a keeper and. Um, so do you subscribe to the theory that uh, he's no no longer Boudier? He's he's back to being Boudier and uh, playing the best Yo, of his life. <laughs> come on, come on, son, come on. We, we from Queens. He's always been Boudier, right? I mean, just, it, it, no matter how good he plays, that that's a too good of a name to like pass up on. So I'm gonna be I'm gonna be using that whenever he naturally falls on his ass and um, misses the layup without any contact. He throws his arms up to the ref, waiting to get the call. So. Right. Whenever he does that, he absolutely deserves it on Twitter, on Instagram, and you know, <laughs> say it out loud for the people in the back. <laughs> well, we're huge fans of uh, Moutier's coach Fizdale. Now you've seen you've seen the previous few coaches, uh, Fiz, um, sorry, D'Antoni, Woodson, and whoever else that there were the last you know Kurt five Randis. six years. Kurt Ran- oh, Herb, uh, Herb Williams. Don't forget him. Let's not <laughs> forget Herb. Multiple instances of Herb Williams. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> uh, how's Fizdale doing? Because you know we're huge fans of Fizdale uh, right now. And to touch up on that, what do you? Th- how do you think his work on Frank Nilakina is going? And we know Moody is a big fan of Fizdale. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, we gotta separate it out because uh, Fizdale's done a lot for the whole team. I mean, I was watching the whole coaching search last year, and it really came down to you know Budenholzer and Fizz. Mm-hmm. And Budenholzer had the, the better stats and the more experience with lesser players, but Fizdale is a far greater uh, player coach and, uh, you know, the free agent whisperer. So if we had the, the Hamptons four go out to recruit KD, I think a big aspect of having Fizdale is his ability to relate to today's young NBA players, given his history with the, the Miami Heatles, right. LeBron and Wade down there. Uh, with the Knicks, he's done a lot of. I, th- I think he's a big reason why um, Kevin Knox has found his rhythm, his pace, his t- you know when to slow it down, when to speed it up. Uh, he's done incredible work with Moutier. You know, like you guys mentioned from his first um, press conference, he just shouted him out. I was like, "Wow, talk about putting a man on blast, right?" Like he's like, "I'm gonna get you right," and I was like, "Like if I was Moutier, I'd, I'd, I'd be excited, but also like a little like embarrassed." But it, it worked. Uh, and now we've got to ask ourselves, are these real stats by Moutier? Are these like Ennis Cantor, uh, you know, stat padding? Or can they translate to wins by next year when we actually want to win games? I'm a big fan of tanking. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Fisdale being a believer in the tank. I think Fisdale is driving that tank 
like hard. I mean, he's 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 doing exactly what the Knicks need, and there's not a single thing I could say uh, that the the one single thing I could say bad about Fisdale is, um, you know, he's New York's such a public place, public town with a strong media. Mm-hmm. I, I think we got to figure out how to get uh, Nilakina's mind right, and right. Uh, we we can't have him, you know, turn into a a player that we send off and he develops under Popovich or develops somewhere else. Cause we're going to like, you know, it's going to be Knicks all over again. So I think he's taking his time with uh, Frank. He has, his, he has some time. We, we should play Moody as well as we can until February, see how well things go. And if we, and if Moody is still with us past the deadline, we can figure out how to get Frank uh, more into the mix, but I'm a big fan of what he's done so far. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's great to see that we have fellow Knicks fans who are as patient as we are. And, you know, patience isn't a vir- it, it, it wasn't a virtue for for Knicks fans for a long time. So, you know, for for the for the 2000s time, probably the worst period of of Knicks history, or one of the worst. Um, did you always feel like it was title or bust as as a Knicks fan? Because that's that's kind of the way the the front office felt, and that's why they kept making all these crazy right, trades. And that was projected onto us for a while. You know, just uh, we've got we're one piece, one or two pieces away from contention, but. Was that the refrain amongst fans? I mean, we were young during the mid early two thousand, so You gotta give me a minute to gather my emotions, man. That was that, those are some horrible times. Horrible times and it's like Speak I mean, on it. We, we we tried and we tried the same formula over and over again. I mean, once the Ewing trade happened, we're like, All right, we're gonna go, you know, point guard point guard heavy with the Steph trade and we had we we're always ready to stockpile on stars but just in the wrong point in their careers or, or the fit wasn't there mm-hmm. um we finally started another rebuild around the time that we struck out on chris bosh wade and lebron and we had to settle for amari and then right when we were playing well we gave it all up just to get mellow into the mix mm-hmm. i mean all these short-term solutions and i, th- I think the that plus the mellow re-signing uh, really put us back and Again, when when we were in the middle of Melo's second or third year, we we swung for Derrick Rose, and mm-hmm. that led to us recruiting Noah, and and Noah recruited Courtney Lee. So that all these things kind of have a domino effect, and it's all we kept swinging for, you know, eight seed, seven seed, six seed, and I think the front office was a little delusional, thinking you know these oh. players could fit together, and uh, you know like you forgot Bargiani. I mean, I'm not even gonna go there. I mean, it's, it's tomorrow's Christmas, man. I'm not even trying to like ru- ruin my mood with uh, thinking about Andre Bernani, but um, but you guys are, you know, just, you know, just, you know, just, you know, kick me while I'm down, why don't you? But yeah, those you are the off. types of yeah, exactly, exactly. Going down memory so, lane here. Oh yeah. So that, that's one thing Knicks fans do. We can out misery each other like oh yeah you want Bargani I'll take that and, uh, and I'll top you the Ronaldo Bachman or you know this draft pick or stuff like that so very true Amari hitting the fire extinguisher breaking his hand uh... oh my god <laughs> some of the some of the Amari stuff got a little extra a little too extra and he he, he wasn't his knees weren't good enough for him to be punching fire extinguishers so I don't know why he thought like he's the type of player who could get away with shit like that, you know. So it was, just, right. it was extra frustrating. Oh, and you forgot a, you forgot superstar Ennis Canner here. I don't know if you're honestly. I don't know if you're a big Canner fan. We clearly are. We love. We. I'm kidding. Okay, no, I can't even say Kenner. we hate. We we hate Ennis Canner. We cannot guys, wait to see guys, off the team. <laughs> guys, I've listened to nearly every episode you guys put out. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Canner is. I actually. Ran into Canner at uh, what's that? What's that? Lifetime Sky, like a few summers ago, while he was with OKC, mm-hmm. and uh, he's he's just a goofy, goofy dude, man. I mean, to your point, Nafi and Mo, why are you complaining so much? You knew, you know, we're in the rebuild. You know, we're not trying to give you development minutes, right. and we know you're trying to get your stats padded. For some team like Milwaukee to pull the trigger on you and give you a big contract because you got you know 15 rebounds a game mm-hmm. so he has a lot of empty stats and you know uh, uh, my brother-in-law is bringing up like Canner's like one of those dudes in the 90s would have all the stats but his player efficiency ratings were were, were total garbage you know they, they led to more negative plus you know plus minus column is always negative mm-hmm. he's just he's just terrible and 
it's funny when Canner tries to recruit other stars because <laughs> yeah. all New York fans are like you ain't gonna be here. So <laughs> why are you recruiting for us when when clearly we have we want nothing to do with you on our team? You know, like beyond just anything that like a like a cap hold or something. You know, man, so, this guy this whole summer he just kept putting up Instagram video after video and it's just like yeah, New York's my home. He had a really awkward video on the train. He's just like yeah, this is really weird. Uh, Times Square, and it's just like, you know, he's going on ESPN talking about the Knicks, but you know, at this point, he's like the least important player on the team. Right, I mean... Canner, Canner should should be in, like, the magic. Like, he could he could fit in, like, Disney. Like, the whole Disney culture and Canner. <laughs> he could be, like, a Disney villain. He could be at Disneyland with the fireworks every night. Like, he, we need to put him put him away in a city where he can really like where the community could love him back because new york is not that not not that city anymore right self-awareness and defensive fortitude two skills that are not under under a skill set so that's not much we know 100 (laughs) percent. so you know now we want to have some fun with you ivan we're gonna go for it we're gonna ask you some fun questions um you and I, we play basketball, you know, once or twice. But mm-hmm. I want to know who who do you model your game after? Uh, it's different, man. When I was in high school, I used to think I was a cool coach. I was a streaky shooter. Okay. Uh, I was like a little bit of point forward. I like to, you know, set my set my teammates up. But if I had the open shot, it was it was uh, wet. Mm. Um, as I grew older, and the players around me were, you know, the one thing I never developed, which I really wish I did since a kid, since I was a kid, was my handle. And I, I don't have a, a left, and uh, I could only drive right at, at best. So I think those things really limited uh, what I could do. Mm-hmm. So as I grew older, I really shifted my game to more uh, defense-oriented, trying to do the little things, trying to get the, the rebounds, uh, you know, um, and, and really worked on, like, some areas of the paint where I could get my sweet spots like some some mid-range shots so if I'm like if I'm that Joe Ingles type dude and and I can contribute a little bit more plus plus minus minutes I'll be happy with the with the way um I contribute to the team so I'm I'm lucky to be out there with the younger guys Mm -hmm. but um I, I, you know, just just those three and D guys who can uh, just kind of do a little bit of the intangibles. Right. I'd be lucky to be I'd be lucky to be the next Dotson, right? <laughs> we hear you. Yeah, you've got so you're telling us you've got the classic old guy at the YMCA game. <laughs> Pretty much, there. man. Pretty much, <laughs> old guy with the uh, with the um, hopefully the 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 fresher sneakers because I got right. my, my sneaker games on point. I'll, I'll let you know that I've seen it shooting 100 percent from the field with that bank shot. <laughs> the bank is always open. <laughs> exactly. The bank shot was was good to Scotty. Was good to Tim Duncan, and the old guys love that bank shot, man. Mm. Very demoralizing as one that's been on the other end of those bank shots. So keep at it. <laughs> you never never sleep on those, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, so all right. So next question: Who sure. were the last five Knicks head coaches? This is some trivia trivia right now. Yeah. So. In in order? Uh, yeah. Starting with right. uh, starting with Fizdale. All right, uh, we'll go Fizz, uh, Hornacek. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, I'm trying to think who Derek Fisher's replacement was. But, oh, it was a Kurt Rambis. Yep. Um, and then Derek Fisher. Mm-hmm. And then prior to Fisher, I'm not sure if we had D'Antoni or one of the uh, one of the people in between. Uh, I forgot who the regime was before, or was it uh, Don Chaney? Uh, nope. nope. Uh, Come on, way too bad. S- he won us. A he won us a playoff game. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! I can't, believe, I can't believe it was I'm, a very I'm successful era. Coach Brown. He was. We should have never nope. gotten rid of Mike Brown. Mike I Brown. Mean, what's, what's his name? Not, not Mike Brown. Like the guy from Atlanta. You guys know. <laughs> You're close. Woody. You're close. Woody. Woody. Yes. Woody. 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 Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I meant to say uh, uh, Woodson, but him and him and Mike Brown with the uh, with the bald heads and like I think they coach like uh, right. on the on the same. I think they're like assistant coaches on the same team or something. But uh, yeah, Woody, Woody, okay. Woody was one of our best coaches, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he really got the most out of Melo, uh, and I think uh, he got he got kind of a raw deal, uh, Coach Woodson, just because it was the Phil regime, so he had yeah. to put his own stamp on it, you know. Um, I mean, we'll give you that. Okay, five for five. Um, and you know the Mike Brown, Mike Woodson thing. Uh, we'll, we'll also let that slide just because uh, I think they're two coaches that most fans will kind of wonder how the hell did they coach fifty win seasons. So you know, 
I mean, I mean, they've been around, right? They, they had, what, like the, the Lakers, the Cavs, the Hawks. They, they've all made the playoffs under those guys at right. some point or another. So it's been uh, – they've, they've found a little value for themselves on the bench. Yep. What's uh, next? Um, okay, so another trivia, some draft trivia. How about this? So the Steph Curry, Steph Curry draft. Oh, yeah. Remember, I, remember, I remember, remember like it was yesterday, guys. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't know if this question's worth. <laughs> go for it. Then. Just go for it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about that day. A lot happened that day. Uh, Mike Jackson died that day. Okay. Uh, I actually, and actually, that was actually my first foray into writing a little sports blog, uh, you know, sports blog entry about that draft. But let's relive it. What do you want to ask about it? Okay. So as we know, just historically, that 09 draft did have a lot of star-studded names at the point guard position. Um, mm-hmm. Unbeknownst to most casual listeners and fans the Knicks actually did pick up a point guard in that draft so can you tell me who that point guard was we all know Jordan oh, Hill was a lotto pick but who was the point guard we picked up in that draft wow I forgot I forgot I wish I remembered who it was a, was it a second round pick it was a late it was, first or was it round. late 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 first round right it was a that. late first round uh I remember staying up and then writing about it it's uh, it such a good question man <laughs> was it Nate Robinson no, close. Nah. I don't want to say uh, close. Shoot. What, like, I'm trying to think. Is he, he's not still in the league. He can't be still in the league. So. Oh, he's definitely not still in the league. But, <laughs> he's definitely not in the league. Oh, my gosh. How horrible is this person? Who is it? Remind me, guys. Oh, this is probably the most frustrating point guard we've ever had, which, which is saying a lot. But uh, Tony Douglas, do you remember him? Of course, Tony remember Douglas. Tony Douglas, but <laughs> I wouldn't even give him that title, guys. There's we had Chris Duhon, we had right. we had we had a lot of guys that did just as poorly as you know. Right, but Tony Buster Douglas. You got to put some respect on Duhon's name. That's a Knicks assist record holder, Chris Duhon. So oh, Chris, <laughs> I used to love calling him Chris Dudu because he's just his game was just just terrible. Just right. it just it just so uh, he got overpowered. Mm. So, I could go on and on, but We're wow, on I can't page, believe uh, you guys took Chris me Dookie. back to <laughs> Chris Dukey, right? Oh my gosh, Tony Douglas, hilarious guys. That, that was that was a terrible day. I mean, I mean, like if you grew up a if you grew up in my era or any immigrant kid around the world, Mike Jackson for all of his shortcomings off the stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was like, you know, one of the greatest musicians we all grew up around, Definitely. and uh, he had died. I was driving home because I was really looking forward to the draft, and I can't believe that David Kahn effed up like that, and he got Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn, just leaving, you know, getting us a little bit closer to Davis and Steph Curry, mm-hmm. and then of course uh, Don Nelson and the Warriors had to screw it up for us. And I think at that point, the Knicks just spazzed out. Like, we didn't know what to do. Right. And Brandon, Brandon Jennings, you know, he never really panned out, but he was still there. And we went with Jordan Hill, and oh, it was man. another waste of draft. Waste of draft. Yep, I just remember D'Antoni saying, oh, he remind, Jordan Hill reminds me of Amari. And I just figured, okay, I mean, we'll see where that goes. And then I think it was six months later, he got traced, uh, traded to Houston for cap space, so... Typical Knicks pick and a typical Knicks move with that pick. So it was the worst. It was the worst. You ready for the next one? Yeah, guys. Let's make it a little more chipper. It's the holiday season. We got to cheer up the fans out there. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we're gonna take you a little bit back to the '90s, because uh-huh. um, right now, Nafi and I can name all the Knicks players on the team right now because we're big Knicks fans. But you're a big Bulls fan. Um, can you name seven players on the '95-'96 Chicago Bulls team? Oh, go! Oh, go, go all day. Ready? Go Starting lineup: Ron Harper, Mike Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Luke Longley. Bench: You got uh, Judd Bushler, Randy uh, Brown, uh, Bill Wennington. You had Bison Daly, Brian Williams, who rest in peace. Um, you had John Sally. You had Robert Parrish. You had uh, Tony Kukoc. I already named. You had Judd Bushler, Steve Kerr. Who am I missing? I think you've got it down pat. So. I think I think got the whole team. Yo, if you're an obsessed basketball fan, like you know, like all of us are, and mm-hmm. that's your team. Right. And like when you're when you're a fan like that, you're rooting for like the butt, like the like the biggest bum on the floor to get his minutes. You know, like oh man, Jeff Busher's in the game. That means we're about to win this shit because he had the hustle stats and you know everyone had a role. So uh, 96, 97, 98 Bulls. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm there. I got it. I got you guys. What's next? Uh, okay. 
the Knicks were a pretty shitty team the last uh, you know twenty or so years. Mm-hmm. What was the worst Knicks loss ever? The worst Knicks loss is that an opinion or like a, a fan? The whole based fan off numbers, thing? Based, based off the score. Oh, oh, I would not uh, know that. There are way too many, but I'm sure there are a lot of 56, 50-point games. But I'll tell you one thing, and a good mood for the Knicks. In 96, there was a spring game nationally televised. I'm not sure. If, I think it may have been at the Garden. And the, and the Knicks whooped the Bulls' ass by, like, 40 points. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the first times the Bulls wore their black, uh, black Bulls jerseys with the pinstripes. And all Knicks fans will ever will always hold on to that victory against the 96 Bulls because it was just so sweet for uh, Knicks fans. But what was the biggest loss, uh, point-wise? I mean, Mo's got that pulled up right now, so it's... Uh, it's... Yeah, it was a 62-point loss. It was actually in the 60s against the uh, Syracuse Nationals, if you remember that team. <laughs> wow, did, did Carmelo play for them? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, my, my fanship to the NBA goes back to 1991, Bulls-Lakers, game three or four. So that's well before my time. So oh, Come on, Mo, how old do you think our, our illustrious <laughs> guest is? <laughs> uh, all right, so now, you know, what we're going to do, we're going we're gonna to say some names. and mm-hmm. The first thought that comes to your mind is what you're going to do. This is dangerous. Let's right. go for it. You ready? Yep. Uh, John Starks. The Dunk. Phil Jackson. Triangle. Roy Hibbert. The Block. Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> Con Man. <laughs> Good one. <And> Larry Brown. <laughs> Old School. The Spurs. The System. Mm, okay. Frank Nilakina. New York's baby. French baby. French baby boy. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, how about one more? Let's make it a good one. You got one? Or uh we want to make this a good one. Um Chicago Bulls. Trash. <laughs> good answer. I've heard you I mean, you're I'm sure you've heard, but uh, they are probably the most low key dysfunctional franchise in the league, but yet they don't get nearly the attention the Knicks do. So But we're gonna we're gonna change that. Nah, I think uh I, I actually had a take on the Bulls. I mean, they are one of the worst, you know, coaching situations in the league right now. This is whole this whole Hoyland, Fred Hoyland, like Hoyberg to Hoyland and all this crap and definitely it's it sucks because you got some good pieces. You got Wendell Carter. If mm-hmm. Wendell Carter and um, Larry Markinen figure out how to be a great unit, and I think uh, the Bulls need to hire Jerry Stackhouse right away. Uh, whenever whenever the next coaching search starts, they got to go for Stackhouse. Um, him, he, I think he'd be a great mentor to Zach Levine's evolving game. It's getting better and better. And if Chris Dunn can finally uh, stay healthy. Um, I think the Bulls have a have a bright future, especially when they uh, get away from Jabari Parker's contract and get, get get to move on. Right. I think first thing they need to do before they get a coach is just get rid of that brain trust because you don't spend 15 years in one spot and just only have or have zero rings to show for it. You know. I mean, but that's just my take. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. I think the, the it's it's going to be tough. I mean, I think the ownership is real close to John Paxson. He's mm-hmm. been part of the first three Bulls runs. Right. Uh, I don't know how uh, Guy Foreman or whatever the uh, the other person in that in that situation is, and it's 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 tough to figure out how to break it up if the owners are involved. So, you know, I, I hope they uh, win a lot of games so we could uh, keep tanking. Right now, we're we're tied in Tankathon with uh, the Bulls, and I, I wish them a lot of well. I, I wish them you know a lot of victories this season. I'll just say that. Definitely, and just like taking a look at our our our, our next schedule for the next twelve game, twelve games, it's going to be very fruitful for the tank. Let's just oh, for sure, that. for sure. Starting with tomorrow's game, mm-hmm. we're going to see uh, Giannis versus Mario Part Two. If if maybe we maybe if he gets Giannis off the bench, Mario Mario Hizania on live television. So tune in, <laughs> tune in. Uh, so you know, one final question, Ivan. Uh, before we Go wrap this guys. up, uh, you are the CEO of Eleven Branches at Constitorial. Which is your favorite branch? Because a lot oh, of people man. from the company will be listening into this, so you know we're all wondering, uh, which is your favorite branch? You know, I got I got a favorite thing about each branch. Um, Come on, and, man, that's a cop out. <laughs> I, I know, I know. I got a favorite thing about each branch. 
but I got to right now give it to KT Sutfin for two reasons. Yeah. Um, KT Sutfin, uh, my personal office is there. That's where I spend most of my time during the week, uh, Tuesday through Friday. Um, my six-year-old daughter, Ariana, we uh, have her back at cons as a, as a student. So I'm not only the president, uh, you know, I'm the player president, you know, like the whole biggie line. <laughs> so I'm not only a client, I'm the player president. So my daughter's at KT Sutfin taking, uh, you know, uh, classes as a first grader now. Uh, so I got to give, you know, give my shout out to the whole team out there and uh, to all the other centers. You know, we'll see each other at the holiday party this year and, you know, hopefully I'll make it up to them somehow. <laughs> Well, Ivan, uh, you know, we definitely want to thank you for coming on to the show. And, you're, uh, you know, thank you so much for all the work that you and Constantor has been doing for the community. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing how much work you, you have done for all the students. Um, so many students are getting into specialized high schools, getting top scores on their standardized exams, doing well in high school, SATs, APs. So, you know, thank you for, for all the work that Constantor and the, and the Constantor team has done for, you know, for New York City. Oh, I can't. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I mean, I want to give it off to give my hats off to you guys. I mean, the Nickish podcast is, you know, I'm a fan of many Nick podcasts and this is fast uh, becoming one of my more uh, favorite ones up the list. And uh, to see it done from Queens, from people in the community that I grew up in, I'm, you know, I'm from Elmhurst and South Dillson Park uh, and ended up in Belrose later. But um, it's just it's just uh, it's a, it's a big source of pride for me to see young people from uh, the South Asian Bangladeshi culture, you know, uh, put the Knicks on the map uh, for our community and uh, be a voice for all things Knicks, the NBA, and just um, things that we enjoy, you know? Right, you know, just to echo Mo, so thanks so much for coming on, and we definitely do appreciate the kind words, um, and uh, just being a loyal listener, because you know, it's gotta get started somewhere, so it's good to know that somebody's so knowledgeable and. Uh, so prominent in our community is uh, following along with us as we take this journey. So once again, thanks. I loved my, my time here, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you.